One day after Donald Trump incited a fascist-led mob to seize control of the U.S. Capitol and disperse the Congress at the moment it was voting to certify the election of Joe Biden, the ruling class in America has turned decisively against him. Welcome to the January 7th edition of The Real Story on the Socialist Program. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Cell, and I'm here with our host, Brian Becker. Wow, what a day. Yesterday, January 6th. January 6th, the first time, I guess, since, since the War of 1812, where the U.S. Capitol was breached. Uh, in a way, Nicole, it didn't seem to be even breached. I mean, you had Capitol Police officers actually opening the gates uh, such that large numbers of fascist-led, and we're not using uh, fascist here as a rhetorical flourish, these were fascist leaders, uh, let them into the Capitol grounds. And then many of them came up, as many of them also came through broken windows, they had metal rods, they were armed. Then when they got inside, uh, they chased some police officers, some Capitol police officers, I saw them chasing a black uh, Capitol Police officer, but with other uh, white police officers in the Capitol grounds, they were actually taking selfies with them. Some of them who had burst into, you know, the the primary offices of the U.S. Congress, including top congressional leaders, when they were met by the police, the police didn't have riot gear on. They had casual conversations with them. Uh, ultimately, though, when they started to storm into the Senate chamber and, and the members of the Congress had to take cover, they had to shelter in place, they had to lock down. When they were actually breaking the windows and forcing their way into the Senate chamber, at one point, undercover, or not undercover, but plainclothes Capitol Police officers uh, fired at least one shot through the door where they were breaking the door down. And that shot hit. Uh, one of the women who was in the crowd uh, struck her in the neck and she died. But it was very unusual, Nicole, because, and, and I, I believe that what we witnessed was at least at some level within the Capitol Police High Command, and I also believe within the Department of Defense and maybe within other military and police agencies, some degree of collusion because the Capitol building is not that hard to protect, even from a large crowd. Uh, I've been part of large crowds that uh, the Capitol Police were fiercely, militantly defending the building, even against peaceful protesters. Uh, anyway, it was an odd scene the way uh, it was almost a seamless takeover of the Capitol. Right. And as you know, we are two people who were down at the White House, at Black Lives Matter Plaza, it, here in Washington, D.C., in the Capitol, um, and were treated as media or, or as, as peaceful protesters, all alike were treated with, um, just for occupying a street, just for you know existing and peacefully protesting downtown. People were tear-gassed, trampled. Um, horses were brought out to intimidate and shove people down. 
you know, there were flashbang grenades that went off uh, terrifying people. None of that was was used yesterday, not in the quantity that it was used against peaceful protesters all summer, day in and day out. Just a couple of weeks ago, a young uh, a young woman or excuse me, a young man uh, was killed by D.C. police and his mother was tear gassed at a, at a peaceful protest by D.C. police. I mean, she posed no threat. She was outside of a uh, a building, and she was tear gassed. That didn't happen yesterday. No, and in fact, when the when the when the police and when the MPD finally came into the building, because the Capitol Police were clearly not prepared, or had somebody had decided not to prepare them, the the Metropolitan Police came in, and they actually escorted these same fascist forces. They just walked them outside and let them go free. Uh, again, the the day before yesterday, the day before January 6th, the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, had asked for the National Guard to be deployed. Now, in Washington, D.C., because it's not a state, she has to get permission from the White House or from the Secretary of Defense. Uh, they did not grant uh, they did not grant permission to deploy the D.C. National Guard on the streets of D.C., and as a consequence, the, the police say, well, we were unprepared. Well, they were unprepared because there was a decision not to prepare them. Also, on right-wing uh, chats, on right-wing social media like uh, Gab or Parler, there was lots of talk all week long about how to, how to take the Capitol, how to overcome uh, you know, police lines at the Capitol. Undoubtedly, with certainty, the police agencies were monitoring those chats. They do that before all uh, political activities here in Washington, D.C., and yet no extra preparation. Uh, Again, there had to be collusion here. Now, because the fascist-type insurrection, the mob that chased the Congress out of the Congress, uh, they broke the windows, they vandalized the place, uh, because it became such... Uh, you know, such a spectacle and embarrassed U.S. capitalism and U.S. imperialism, the U.S. government, which is the center, the most important part of the capitalist world, the center of world capitalism, the government that has functioned as the anchor for the world capitalist system since 1945, when the U.S. emerged as the dominant empire in the world. Uh, That was such a spectacle and such a an embarrassment uh, that this could happen in the nation's capital, everything turned suddenly, the tide turned against Donald Trump, uh, who had been fanning the flames and inciting this kind of insurrection for days or weeks. Again, we think for his own narrow purposes. Donald Trump knows that if he doesn't enjoy the immunities that go with being president of the United States, he's going to be undoubtedly subjected to criminal prosecutions in New York State and at the state level at different in different states. He won't enjoy even uh, a federal pardon that wouldn't uh, immunize him from those kind of charges. So he's clinging to power. He and his kids are going to be prosecuted, they think, for financial crimes, Paul Manafort-type crimes. So he's been whipping up the base making these baseless allegations that it was that they lost narrowly because of widespread voter fraud and while some sectors of the establishment turned against Trump i mean we could see that in the last days when business groups and CEOs were coming together and telling Trump hey cut it out 
Trump didn't cut it out for his own personal reasons, his own narcissistic reasons, but especially because he doesn't want to be prosecuted. He was doing everything to cling to power. And then when it became this spectacle, this shameless spectacle for the U.S. government, right now it looks like Donald Trump has met his Waterloo. Uh, he has come to the end. And even now, uh, the main CEOs of capitalist America are calling on the Trump cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment, which allows the cabinet to replace the president. Uh, so we have a bipartisan message and different sectors of uh, the U.S. capitalist class, including the Wall Street Journal editorial board, um, which has been really out there for Trump for the last you know, four years. They, they were so happy with Trump, not only because they're right wingers, but Trump's tax giveaway gave so much money. It was such a transfer of wealth from the bottom to the top or from the bottom in the middle to the top that all of these capitalists, even if they were skeptical about Trump in the beginning of uh, his term in 2017, they quickly forgave him because he rewarded them so much. But now Trump himself, for his own personal reasons, is undermining the center of American capitalism. That's not going to be tolerated. Brian, I think we should play an audio clip that's actually describing, this is from CBS Indianapolis. It's really describing this business group calling on uh, Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. And this is the um, National Association of Manufacturers. Here we go. Now, the National Association of Manufacturers, one of the most influential business groups in the U.S., called on Vice President Mike Pence to consider removing President Trump from office. The statement from Republican-leaning NAM marks perhaps the strongest political statement by a major business group in modern history. CEO Jay Timmons, a former Republican political operative, said in the statement that Pence should seriously consider working with the cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment to preserve democracy. The call comes after Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, interrupting the joint session of Congress, counting electoral college votes. Let's hear, uh, Nicole, let's hear how Trump, in fact, incited uh, this crowd. This wasn't uh, just a spontaneous action. Yes, there were fascist groups that led it. They have their own agenda. Uh, Trump has been very good for them. They have been blossoming in the in the recent years. Uh, they've been getting stronger and stronger. We're, we're going to talk about what w is likely to happen to them now after this debacle at the Capitol. Uh, but let's listen. Uh, this was Trump speaking to that crowd right before they marched to the Capitol. He told them, go to the Capitol. He said, don't be weak. Weakness never wins. He also was denouncing Mike Pence. And when they got to the Capitol, they were chanting, find Pence, find Pence. They were, if they had found Pence, they would have, I think, killed Pence. Uh, it was a frenzied fascist mob. But let's listen to Donald Trump amping them up. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Yeah, 
That's the president. Yeah. That, and let's hear that other one that you mentioned, Brian. This is uh, Trump in that same speech yesterday before everyone marched to the Capitol as talking about his own vice president, Mike Pence. The Republicans have to get tougher. You're not going to have a Republican Party if you don't get tougher. They want to play so straight. They want to play so, sir, yes, the United States. The Constitution doesn't allow me to send them back to the States. Well, I say, yes, it does, because the Constitution says you have to protect our country and you have to protect our Constitution. And you can't vote on fraud. And fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. So I hope Mike has the courage to do what he has to do. And I hope he doesn't listen to the rhinos and the stupid people that he's listening to. Yeah, and off they went. They were trying to find Pence, find Pence. That's what they were chanting as they stormed through the Capitol. Um, Again, uh, the ruling class in America has now turned decisively against Donald Trump. Um, You know, I want to read from the Wall Street Journal, Nicole. Here's the lead editorial. Now, the Wall Street Journal is not only right-wing, as I mentioned, they are... You know, they love Trump's economic policies, which is to transfer the wealth from the from the bottom in the middle to the to the top. Wall Street Journal today, lead editorial, the disgrace on Capitol Hill, Republicans objecting to state electors should stop and certify Joe Biden's election by acclamation. Here's the first sentences fueled by lies about a stolen election. Protesters overran police and stormed America's seat of government on Wednesday forcing a lockdown of the U.S. Capitol and a 6 p.m. city curfew. This sounds like a dispatch from some foreign correspondent in an unfortunate land. Instead, it was President Trump's parting gift to Washington and the country for denying him a second term. And then it ends It ends the editorial like this. Mr. Biden will become president at noon on January 20th. And until then, the police need to restore order with as much force as necessary. Republicans especially need to speak against trespass and violence. As for Mr. Trump, to steal some famous words deployed in 1940 against Neville Chamberlain, he was the British prime minister, quote, in the name of God, go. Uh, Again, when you have the National Association of Manufacturers a group of 200 CEOs uh, coming together. When you have 10 former secretaries of defense, all the living secretaries of defense, including Rumsfeld and Cheney, issuing statements threatening uh, the current secretary of defense uh, with criminal prosecution, should he dare use the U.S. military to overturn the election? Uh, When you see all of these sectors of the establishment uniting against a political figure, you know that political figure is toast. And that's the case with Donald Trump. And I think there's something there's something that is uh, from recent history, Nicole, that's very important to remember in in the mid in the early 1990s after Bill Clinton was elected there was a growth of a fascist movement in the United States it got very very strong it was being egged on by sectors of the Republican party in Michigan thousands of people were in armed training in, in, as part of these militias but then there were individuals or groupings within that militia movement 
who went too far. Timothy McVeigh, for instance, he decided, since they were all at war with the federal government, to go to Oklahoma City in late April 1995 and blow up the federal building. And there was a child care center there. There were lots of kids there. 130 people were slaughtered. And of course, the government at first started rounding up Arabs and South Asians and Muslims. And, and within days, it became clear that this was the work of right-wing militias. And McVeigh was ultimately convicted. He was executed because it went so far. It went off the charts. It pushed back. It politically isolated the militia movement. It was too much. And I think the growth of the Proud Boys and the fascist movement of the last couple of years who have been raining violence down on black and brown people and people engaged in protest uh, against police violence, these fascists, and they are fascists, and they have been growing because Donald Trump you know, supported them and gave uh, sort of a platform for them. And he told them, stand up and stand by on a presidential debate. I mean, he was like their recruiting agent. But this was too much because when they attacked the seat of Congress, when they attacked the Republican and Democratic Party, when they show that rogue elements in the street can overcome the police in the center of the American government, again, it makes America look like a laughingstock. Uh, You even had Turkey, the Turkish government, Erdogan's government, I think this was sort of tongue in cheek saying they they hope both sides would seek a peaceful resolution or something like that. Uh, Again, this weakens the position of American imperialism on the global stage. And for that, no politician uh, will be forgiven. No. And there were several officials from the Trump administration who resigned yesterday and some who spoke out against what happened. Um, You know, even further proof of what you're saying. One thing I want to ask you, Brian, was this sedition? Well, yeah. I mean, was it seditious conspiracy? Um, Well, let's read a little bit uh, of what seditious conspiracy says. Um, The Partnership for Civil Justice Fund, PCJF, they tweeted about this issue uh, here in Washington, D.C. Here's what they said. In case you were wondering, the definition of seditious conspiracy, 18 U.S. Code 2384, punishable by 20 years in prison, quote, if two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to, by force, to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the U.S. or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the U.S. contrary to the authority thereof, they shall be fined under the title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. That's from the seditious conspiracy law. Now, uh, was there uh, uh, an attempt by use of force to hinder the execution of a law? Yes. What Congress was involved in was certifying the Electoral College, which is part of the law of the land of the United States. This fascist mob did just that. And who incited them? Who inflamed them? Who said, let's march to the Congress? Uh, Who uh, said to them, you know, weakness doesn't succeed. Uh, And when there's fraud, we play by different set of rules. Well, of course, that's the president of the United States. So the question really 
will be posed, I believe, that when Donald Trump does leave office, and perhaps even prior to that, uh, will he be charged under the seditious conspiracy law? Again, the U.S. ruling class does not want mobs of people, armed mobs of people, thinking that they can storm the U.S. government seat of government and disperse it uh, and be able to perhaps take the power. They don't want that. They don't want it because it makes the U.S. look like a laughingstock. And also it's dangerous in terms of giving people ideas that the U.S. Congress is, in fact, a fragile democracy. You know, it's interesting. Uh, At the end, Nicole, Joe Biden, we heard Joe Biden talk uh, when he came out. It was kind of a pathetic speech, actually. He he actually appealed to the. He says, "I appeal. I, I demand that the mob withdraw. Like instead of like the mob should be arrested or something like that." He appeals to them to withdraw. That that part was kind of funny, but he also says, "We are a fragile democracy." Now that's news. When did we become a fragile democracy? I think we have an audio clip where he actually, you know, we can play it back. He goes on national TV to say America is a fragile democracy. Today's reminder. A painful one. That democracy is fragile. Yeah. Okay, everybody. We thought American democracy was, you know, solid as a rock. But apparently it's not. And in fact, it's not. I mean, when we talk about democracy, we're talking about a very tortured form of democracy. Democracy, you know, literally translated uh, would be the rule of the people, of, by, and for the people. Well, you, you know, just look at the Georgia Senate race. I think uh, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on just TV advertising alone for one Senate race. So that's the democracy that's premised on money. Uh, and the rule of money is not called a democracy. It's called a plutocracy. But whatever. Let's just assume Biden is talking the same, you know, using a similar language what we're told and what the world is told is follow the American lead. The American form of government is unique. It's distinctive. It's exceptional. It's wonderful. It's not authoritarian, blah, blah, blah. And it's very sturdy. It's, it's, it's ability to persevere through good times and bad, peace and war, et cetera, et cetera, makes it really the model. But Joe Biden just announced yesterday it's a fragile democracy And for people looking at it around the world, they couldn't but come to another conclusion. Uh, Again, uh, yes, we are in a situation where there has been a deep internecine, that means internal struggle within the ruling class between ruling class factions, and it's spilling over into society and has spilled over. If you think about what's happened in the last four years, in 2016, when Trump narrowly beat Hillary Clinton, and it was narrow, just like this election was a narrow, narrowly de- decided in a few battleground states, the Democrats said it was only because of Russia. It was because of the intervention of the uh, Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg. It was because of a Kremlin plot. Uh, Democrats, for, ye- for the first three years of Trump, that was their theme. He's not a legitimate president. The election was marred by a certain kind of fraud, outside interference. In other words, it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't a strong democracy. And they promoted that fantasy for which there was no evidence. And even the Mueller report doesn't 
provide any evidence at all. In fact, it absolves Trump from the uh, the allegation of collusion. Clearly, the FBI was trying uh, to help get rid of Trump as an insurance policy in the weird event that he might win. And and you know Andrew McCabe and the other FBI officials who led the you know criminal investigation against the Trump campaign in 2016 they said as much. This was an insurance policy in case he wins. Now you have the Republicans telling their base for the last couple months this election was lost narrowly, not because it was lost narrowly, not because it's a legitimate election, but because in fact, the the election was stolen. It was fraud. It was illegitimate. So you have both sides of the ruling class that are fighting each other and denouncing the system when it deprives them of a victory. And then shock of shocks, parts of the population start to listen to them and believe them and believe that the system is illegitimate. Now you have 77% of Trump voters, and there were 73 million of them, who believe that the election was stolen. They're completely convinced of it. Uh, Just the way the Democrats were convinced that the only reason uh, Trump was president in 2016 and 17 was because of Putin. So we have a a fragile democracy in the sense that the, the sort of the veneer is coming off. You have a situation where there are 50 million Americans who are food insecure. That means hungry. They're in food lines right now. 60 million people applied for unemployment benefits since March. They lost their jobs. COVID virus, COVID-19 did not lay them off. Their companies laid them off. Their bosses laid them off. Or their companies were small enough that they were destroyed by the bigger companies and they went bankrupt and thus they lost their jobs. These were, uh, and, and not to mention that, 2,000 plus people are dying every day from COVID. I mean, the complete and utter failure of the capitalist government, and especially and specifically the U.S. capitalist form of government, has been so revealed uh, in this, the richest country in the world. And then you have the parties from both ruling class parties uh, sort of shredding their old protocols about accepting the election outcome and denouncing the system as a fraud by one means or another. Yeah, there's going to be the rise of other movements. Right now, in the last couple of years, the fascist movement got strong. Uh, I think just as what happened after Timothy McVeigh bombed the federal building, they may go through a dip right now. They may ebb. They may have a setback. We'll see if the government goes after them. It's certainly, if they were progressives, if they were leftists, if it was uh, our side, the progressives who had stormed the, the Capitol, broken the windows, uh, made the disperse the Senate and the House. I, I can tell you a grand jury would have been convened already, but we would have already been shot or we would have been arrested en masse. I mean, all of that would have happened. So the, the white supremacists, because they're so in bed with police agencies, uh, get treated with kid gloves. They're coddled. So we don't know for certain whether or not the government will come after them, but it might come after them. This was, I think, such a big moment a historical moment and a historical debacle for the system that it's very possible that that could happen. In that case, the fascist movement could ebb again. It could decline. What needs to happen is for the working class and the left movement, the progressive movement, the anti-racist movement, the movement that fights against uh, sexism and LGBTQ oppression, the, the movement that's for the working class, uh, that fights for the working class, 
we have to build a strong leftist movement. And we can't do it, by the way, if we're going to become a tail to the kite of the Democratic Party. Uh, Just because we oppose a fascist coup, which we certainly do, because how dangerous is that if for fascism to start to not only rear its ugly head, but to be able to have that kind of impact, we have to fight fascism, but we have to do it independently of the Democrats because bottom line, uh, the Democrats are pursuing the same policy as the Republicans internationally. They're pursuing a policy of carrying out same kind of fascist-led coups in Ukraine, which, of course, Biden and Obama and Victoria Nuland uh, supported in Ukraine, the same kind of fascist mobs that seized the Congress yesterday for two hours. They overthrew the government in Ukraine in February 2014. And the irony of ironies, as our friend Carlos Martinez pointed out, uh, the day before this fascist insurrection in Washington, uh, Joe Biden announced that Victoria Nuland, the the conductor of the Maidan coup in Ukraine in 2014, was just named the number three person uh, in the State Department. So the U.S. does these kind of things uh, in Ukraine, tried to do it in Venezuela. Biden is supporting the overthrow of Maduro, recognizing Juan Guaido, Trump's you know little puppet as the legitimate government. Uh, Yeah, the Democrats and the Republicans pursue the same policies. We have to build a social movement, a socialist movement, and a workers' movement, and a progressive movement that does not look to the Democratic Party, but to recognize that both parties are the problem, and neither party can be part of the solution. That's exactly right. And I think the if if you're sitting here thinking, well, what does that mean? What do I do? The number one thing is to is to join an organization, organize, join an organization that's fighting for people, that's fighting with the working class, um, that's not just a tail to the kite of the Democratic Party, and organize. Yeah, as socialists and as social activists, we believe that you have to build a movement and the, you have to build an organization. I I looked at the site Liberation news.org, which is the website for the Party for Socialism and Liberation, an organization which I'm a member of. I've been involved with it since its beginning in 2004, an organization that has been growing very, very dynamically in the last several years as the interest in socialism and in profound social change uh, has grown so exponentially. Uh, the party that ran an independent socialist candidate, Gloria Lariva and Sunil Freeman, uh, for elections in uh, 2020 so that there would be an independent voice, an independent social and socialist voice in the elections. But, you know, I looked at the website, Liberation News of the PSL, at that statement about what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C. They make the point, the Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, is not an independent figure. He was the one Trump named after firing Mark Esper. He was a relatively low-ranking special forces officer before being elevated to a place of central importance by Donald Trump, who he owes completely for his current position of authority. Last Sunday, all 10 living former secretaries of defense issued a joint op-ed in the Washington Post demanding that the military not intervene in the transition of power to Joe Biden. They wrote that, quote, acting Defense Secretary Christopher C. Miller and his subordinates, that's in quote, 
must refrain from any political actions that undermine the results of the election or hinder the success of the new team. The group of co-authors include figures like Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Mark Esper, who served as Secretary of Defense uh, un- until two months ago. And it, it also included James Mattis, the first Secretary of Defense under Trump. And, th- and this editorial by PSL states, there must be a profound reason why a group of highly influential figures from disparate ruling class factions united to put out this remarkable statement It suggests that they already were aware of discussions within sections of the state about precisely this type of plot or action. Now, that's the kind of movement we want. We want a movement that's able to be in the streets, organizing working folks, organizing young people, struggling for the things that people need, and also providing political assessment, political analysis that conforms to the reality of the situation that's not just shrill rhetoric takes apart what's actually going on within not simply the the working class, but also what's going on inside the ruling class establishment, because the struggles inside the ruling class establishment, as we could see by what happened yesterday, Nicole, could have a profound impact. We know what happened in Europe in the, at the, in the 1930s with the rise of fascism, when it was the inability of the left to take power and to shape society and to help society out of its crisis, the crisis caused by capitalism at that time, that led to the growth and eventually victory of fascism, and then World War II with all of the attendant losses and suffering. You know, we need to build a movement that has the ability to act, to be in the streets, to be activists, and at the same time, not simply to be activists. We need to be political. We need to be political thinkers and providing political analysis and political direction that conforms to the needs of the struggle during a very, very politically complex period. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.